Hello, and welcome to TV Saves the World. I'm Priya, and I'm high. I'm Ilan, I'm drunk. Here we are, and we're uh, sheltering in place, and we're recording this remotely, and everyone thinks that this episode is going to talk about quarantines or plagues or the end of the world, and they're wrong, because we've heard about all of that for the last two months, and we're sick of it. In a way, they're kind of right, which we'll get into later in the episode. Um, But yeah, also, we don't want to really address it directly because we're sick of it, and we kind of figure that you're also sick of it. You will be by the time this episode comes out. (laughs) yeah it's gonna be in like a week which is gonna be like five quadrillion years we'll all be old and gray yeah i wonder if i'll have washed my hair by then (laughs) possibly not if i'm editing this episode (laughs) so if we're not old let's let's talk about the opposite of old so uh, we've been we've been looking for some escapism, and we've been thinking a lot about YA superhero shows. So superhero shows have been big, but like, why why YA? What is it about superhero shows that makes them such a good fit for uh, teenagers? So the reason is because if you really think about it, the themes of the the kinds of the kinds of stories they t- the, that they tell, the themes are really, really similar. And I think it makes sense partially because, I mean, superhero comics were originally written for kids. So it would make sense that they would tailor the themes, at least initially, like in the famous stories, to like kinds of things that kids, um, like kid kind of logic, basically. It, it feels very adolescent um, in a patronizing way where you say, oh, there's a good guy and there are the bad guys. And that, that is generally something we associate with adolescent literature. But I think that's kind of an oversimplification because you can characterize, you know, the foundation that way. I mean, there's the good guys and there's the mule. I think actually part of adolescence is, I would actually kind of characterize them sometimes even as pre-adolescent. Like, um, because I think part of adolescence is like getting past that point. So like, like, with Marvel's Runaways, I don't think it's an accident that they're, like, pretty early on in their high school education, actually, as opposed to Daybreak, where they're, like, a little bit farther on in there. Um, like, they're a little bit older. But, yeah, maybe that is splitting hairs, though. I don't know. I guess um, one of the things that a lot of superhero shows, when they're YA, have going for them is the sort of purity of heart. Uh, someone who is older, you can't you can't really trust them, right? Like if someone gave me superpowers, like you can't really trust that I'm gonna have the best intents of everyone in mind, because if I was a good person, I had like thirty something years to be a good person, and instead I have a cocktail in my hand. <laughs> but if you're in high school, yes, obviously having drinking cocktails is like not mutually compatible with being good. I okay. Look, I ordered this cocktail to be delivered to me from my favorite club to keep them alive during the pandemic. So, actually, I'm I'm drinking. Elon, what did it come in? It came in a mason jar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, continue. <laughs> uh, San Francisco DNA Lounge. 
Mason jar cocktails, <laughs> keep them alive. Um, By the way, I don't know why I'm razzing you because I am currently drinking water out of a poor man's mason jar, which is the um, the insert to a magic bullet smoothie. Oh, oh yeah, I have a lot of those. I have definitely drunk smoothies out of those. Yeah, so I'm just drinking water out of mine, which I feel like is, you know, the next level of, like, Mason Jarness. And drinking water is a very adult thing to do, Priya. Um, and I guess what I would say here is, look, the fact that we've been making fun of ourselves is a very adult thing to do. If we were teenagers, we'd be like, whatever. But adults are aware of their foibles, and they're aware of other adults' foibles. And so the idea that you can trust an adult with superpowers becomes all sorts of complicated. So you can't trust adults with superpowers. you got to go with someone younger. And you can't trust, like, three-year-olds or seven-year-olds with superpowers, because, as I imagine many parents are finding out right now, kids are terrible. <laughs> yes, you are not wrong on that. <laughs> I have first-hand knowledge of this. Which, which leads you, leaves you with teenagers. So, YA, teenagers. This, this is my pitch. That's why it's a match made in heaven. You can only hate them a little bit. But I think there's something else here too, Priya, that you, that, you were, that you were suggesting earlier. Right. So the thing about YA stories, as a person who just unashamedly loves YA stories, like, the thing about them is that they're always about like really big existential questions and they like resolve the universe down into like, and one of the ways in which they try to answer them is by resolving the universe down into really interesting different kinds of characters or divisions or factions or people or whatever and saying okay let's look at how all of these interact and like you have to find your place in it and I think it's what's really interesting about that is that it's almost identical to the journey that superheroes go through again not by chance like obviously this is like a design thing I mean literally in comic books right the whole world is turned into like all the characters are turned into like caricatures of themselves um, and each representing like a specific concept uh, as well as uh, just like a person which is not something that you would usually get in adult literature kind of I mean you kind of do but I see but I, I agree with you I see a point. Right. And I mean, I think this is part of the critique usually of comic books is that they are too simplistic in this way. Like, this is the thing that, you know, it's like, oh, the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good. And, you know, it was just about like, bam, pow. And obviously there are like more complicated, it can get very complicated and very emotionally messy as we have seen in cinema for the past, like two decades <laughs> at this point. And and YA is a good fit for that, too, because um, it's after you're a kid. So it starts out with, oh, the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good. But then there is always the capacity to sort of complicate that as the characters grow up and grow older and discover the world, which is something that many of us do during those years. Yeah. Although I'm just going to mention that I have a 28 to 32 is the new 18 to 22 theory of YA. In that, like, there's all these secondary YA shows about, like, the 28 to 32, like, the late 20s, early 30s kinds of years. Oh, yeah, like, like You're the Worst, which is one of my favorite shows. Yeah, or, like, um, Once Upon a Time, which, like, was somehow absurdly successful, like, absurdly in every sense of the word. Another part of why YA goes well with superheroes is they're grappling with big existential themes, and also, like, everything that you do feels monumental, like ah, like, I feel like this. there's so much pressure on me to do the right thing. 
at this point because like you know I'm right on the precipice of something and like one you know false step could you know go badly for me I mean it YA I mean at that sense high school is life or death you you get into a good college or you get into a bad college and your life takes somewhat different turns these things bizarrely matter you get an a in math class or you get an f in math class and it matters so much whereas in real life like oh okay like you get fired from your job you find a different job i mean it sucks but could move it's easier to move away from it you get you get more than one chance yeah exactly should we talk about some shows that we liked we we spent a month preparing for this guys we watched so much television just for you <laughs> yes just for you obviously <laughs> Okay, what were we... Runaways. Right, Marvel's Runaways. is a show that I actually have really liked for a few years now. Um, although I, I do think season one was the best. But Runaways is interesting because it really typifies that identification of like that social commentary of like young adulthood with like superhero stories. Like it's so obvious, you know, as you watch it that every single character is very clearly like this one type that would be very recognizable in a comic book. Um, but then what's really remarkable is that they grow from that also uh, into characters that you actually, you know, have feelings about. I I only watched the pilot and I also loved it. And I guess I want to complicate it by saying the characters are complicated from the very beginning. They They seem like they're the sort of characters that you would see in a comic book. Like, oh yeah, it's the goth girl or, you know, the um, the weird hippie. But from the beginning, you can kind of tell that there is something like way weirder about them. The goth girl seems to be doing actual magic. The hippies' parents have a dinosaur. I will say one of the things that I loved from the beginning, too, is that it feels like a high school show because you get the sort of flashes of here are these characters and they're dealing with stupid high school drama, you know. One of them is popular, but she's like kind of popular, but she's popular because she's a daughter of like this cult leader. I actually say that she's popular because she's pretty. But then she's also hated for being the daughter of this cult leader, from what we can see of her high school life. Right. And later it turns out that she's a lesbian. So, like, that's cool. You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily pull that out of a hat if you were half-assing it. That's, that's kind of a character right there. It's interesting. And I was sold on that. I felt the thing that I felt most about the show was that if none of the characters had powers, if the plot of this was just that these are weird outcast children of extremely competent rich people in a high school, and they have this weird breakfast club type situation because their friend died some time ago, and now they kind of hang out and like try to get their shit together, I would watch that show. They, you don't need superpowers. You don't like none of that is strictly necessary because the characters themselves are just that interesting. 
Yeah, I think making it character-driven is a really important part. I think particularly in the YA slash superhero genre, because so much of the world revolves around, like if you think about Hunger Games, right? Like you're in the capital, you're in one of the districts, and all the districts has its own kind of little thing that it does, and like all the characters kind of interact, you know, you've heard about them a little bit, they all fall into like a recognizable type, right? We, we live in the technology district. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> District 3 yeah, represent! <laughs> All right. Elon sorry. has a poster up in their apartment. <laughs> got it. Got it, custom printed. Anyway. So, again, like you were saying, like the Breakfast Club type scenario, right? Like, in the same way, you can immediately see kind of the similarities between how, like, a young adult kind of thing, you know, something that appeals to young adults is this interaction of, like, established types. And that's exactly what happens in superhero uh, kinds of stories. And so you can immediately see like where the opportunity for overlap is there. Yeah. And I guess the, the other thing that I would sort of add that I think Runaways does really well um, is that what you do, and the reason why the superhero stuff is nice, is that it helps then take the narrative up to 11. It's not just that their parents are kind of rich and ineffectual. Their parents are like kind of rich and kind of ineffectual, but they're also part of an evil cult that does human sacrifice and grows dinosaurs in their basements. Yes! <laughs> and A, that's hilarious. It's great. It makes the show super watchable. Uh, but it also sort of works on a sort of metaphorical level. Because rather than sort of splitting hairs and saying, look, we all know that in real life nobody is quite that much of a dick. You're like, whatever. When you're a teenager, that's that's what that's what your evil parents are. They're, they're literally super villains. This, this <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Emotionally. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Young adulthood is all about this like clash of types, you know, and of course, you're, it makes sense for your parents to stand in uh, as like the thing that you are fighting in whatever way. But <laughs> who hasn't like dreamed of like catching their parent and, you know, doing something that they're not supposed to do as like a way of creating like a bond, you know? Or, or some authority figure, yeah. I mean, that's why principals are often the other common enemy, like Buffy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, authority in general. It is interesting, though, that teachers are often helpful. And I think sometimes this does break down along, like, gender or class lines. Yeah. But, yeah, certainly, like, you're set up with villains as well. So there is something to create conflict. And it's conflict that everybody can relate to. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good point towards YA, too, because in real life, there really aren't that many authority figures. I mean, like... Who is who is our authority figures? I mean, the mayor of San Francisco. Like, we don't. You don't need to put on a superhero suit to disagree with a politician. There are so many other legitimate ways to exert power. Um, I mean, billionaires, I guess. But like, again, like, it's just once you start tethering it to the real world, and you're like, well, this particular billionaire is a dick. So we took him to court. That did not make a very compelling narrative. I think also you're saying something that makes a lot of sense in terms of emotionally if you think about why superhero movies have been so dominant over the past like couple decades you know to the point where everyone is sick of them and yet still keeps going and seeing them i mean not you but me yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) the reason why superhero movies have been so popular is because we have no moral authority right like we have all of these sources of authority that we kind of reach to because they're the best that we have, you know, like billionaires, like politicians, but we can obviously plainly see that they are all corrupt and like none of them should be considered legitimate sources of authority in any way. 
I mean, in as much as they're human beings, but I wouldn't, you know, call Elon Musk a source of moral authority. See also the whole ventilator fiasco that Elon Musk put everybody through. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if a microphone can truly capture the noise that I just made. <laughs> I don't know if a microphone should truly capture the noise that you just made. I think I think you're right. What else do we what else do we want to say about runaways? Right, 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 right. Anyway, the point is that that feels a lot like uh, breaking free of your parents, like that process of young adulthood where you start to realize, oh shit, like my parents aren't like, you know, the, the iconic figures that I've made them out to be. They're actually just people. And yeah. sometimes they do things for just their own benefit, but just because they had to. And like, how do you draw that line between like had to and like, you know, did it, you know, because it was a bad thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, or how a lot of people are sort of reevaluating a lot of um, Barack Obama's legacy, even though we're like, well, he was clearly a great guy and, you know, he was probably a good president. But also in retrospect, he was coming from an understanding of the world that perhaps many of us no longer share. So even if you think that they're OK, you still have to sort of reevaluate where they were coming from and the decisions that they made. You know, surprisingly, my parents are 60 or, you know, in 60 something year old boomers. But one of the things that we all agree on unanimously is that Obama, like, actually wasn't that strong of a leader, like, you know, didn't give his aides clear instructions. So they never really knew, like, what they were you know arguing for and like kept backing off from healthcare. like nancy pelosi had to talk him into it you know kept like making all these concessions prematurely that he didn't have to like all of that took a toll on people you know like he really needed to step up more with messaging and he just didn't yeah i mean but like back like there was a point when he was a hero to a lot of us and it's been the sort of moral reevaluation of no, he's he was just a human being who made mistakes, and even if he meant well, he didn't understand that he had to do all these other things too. And then we ended up in all sorts of bad situations, and also Trump got elected. Exactly. It's hard to like say that we are or not on the right side of like Obama caused Trump to get elected. Right, because I we are very definitely not saying that. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah, but at the same time, like part of the problem, and I think this is what superhero shows are trying to deal with. Part of the problem is that sense of nuance of like, okay, but like, how much is partially responsible for, like, actively responsible for? Like, at what point do you start holding someone accountable, and at what point do you let these things slide? Just because the people who are older than you who are supposed to be in charge and fix everything mean well doesn't mean they can or that they will. Got to go in there with your superpowers. Yeah. And you have to realize that you have superpowers, right? Like you have to kind of go through that sense of like, oh, shit, I'm a human being and my actions matter, too. Which I guess we are all going through right now, regardless of um, whether we're teenagers or not. That's true. Now that we have only one moral action that we can possibly do. <laughs> I did I did two moral actions today. I didn't go out and I ordered a drink. Oh, very good. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve. <laughs> That's right. I'm drinking for freedom. In summary, runaways, rebel against your parents, have interesting characters, dinosaurs in a basement. I want to say it starts summary, but then it starts to get real really quickly in season two, which is when it goes downhill also. 
Uh, and I think it's rebounded a bit in season three is they're like, okay, like that actually doesn't work for us. And also I want to say that it follows a really interesting, this template that I find really interesting that the expanse is also set of having like the emotional climax, like the big climax of the arc in the middle of the season, as opposed to at the end of the season. Have you noticed this? Like the mid-season finale type, type situation? Like, not even the mid-season finale. Like, like, yes, the mid-season finale, but the season is staggered such that, like, the arc that you would expect to be a season long, like, just ends up being staggered. So, like, um, for example, they, res- they do a big plot resolution with Jonah in the middle of season two. Like, I think it's, like, season two, episode five or six or something. And then they spend the rest of season two starting on this new plot. And then the season break is where you would expect the mid-season finale, like, break to be. Huh. And then that's they really it up uh, again. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is a really interesting like format. All right, Runaways. It was good. We liked it. Season one, anyway. Next up, a show we did not like. Cloak and Dagger. If I was not myself, and you were someone else. I'd say so much to you And I would tell the truth Cause I can hardly breathe In your hands Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, we talk a lot about why superheroes are like a good fit for YA. But it turns out that you can still mess it up. Uh, and Cloak and Dagger is a show that looked really promising. We were really excited about it. And then it made all of the mistakes that shows make when they try to mess it up. And so we're going to talk about it, which is something that we find to be fascinating. Because uh, it's a really good illustration of all the ways not to do it. So here is my, um, here's my, my, my pet peeve with it. Um, the plot of Cloak and Dagger is that... Um, There are these two characters, and one of them is this girl who was, like, super well-off and rich, but now she's not super well-off and rich, and also she's a jewel thief, but she's not a very good jewel thief, and she may have superpowers. And then... You gotta be a jewel thief, you gotta be a good one, because you just need, like, one or two, but you gotta get there. No, she's, like, really bad. She, like, steals someone's stuff, and then they try to pawn it, and then it's, like, they, like, don't know how to do it. It's just really... She's just not good at her job. That's the other part. Like, you have to think things through. <laughs> can't, can't introduce your characters as being bad at their, like, day jobs unless that's part of the pitch. And the pitch is not that she's a shitty thief. The pitch is that she's a good thief, but she's not good at her job. Um, and then there's this guy who, I guess, starts who's, who's, who's African-American, and I guess he starts out not being super well-off, and his brother gets shot by cops, and then now he's, like, super well-off, and he's, like, a star player at this uh prep school and they are telepathically connected ish maybe and have superpowers of unclear origin maybe and no, no, um, i think the origin is clear it's just the mechanism that is unclear it's yeah that's that, that that's that's more accurate um but i guess uh it sounds like it's almost compelling but the problem is the characterization <laughs> that i gave you is all there is there's nothing beneath that surface and so, and actually, as you Problem try to watch these the characters, casting. you just don't care about them. 
Like, I wouldn't watch this show about if they didn't have any superheroes. There wouldn't be a show without any of the, like, ominous, like, music, like, about maybe them having superheroes because there is nothing there in terms of characters. And if there is nothing there in terms of characters, then giving them uh, some sort of, you know, trick about what what trick do they have? Teleportation or something is not going to solve it. Yeah, I think it's it's also, God, I feel really bad saying this, but it's kind of hard to overstate how fundamentally boring it is to watch these actors on screen. Like, I don't know if it's the writing. I, like, to me, it's kind of the acting because, like, I just, God, they're just, like, so boring. But, yeah, like, that's 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 kind of what we mean when we say there's no characterization. Like, there's just no depth whatsoever. Yeah. It's 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 just boring. Um, but in addition to having boring characters, it, it, it's not enough to say, well, the characters are just boring without their powers. I want to say more about what the powers mean. So here's here's the complaint that Priya previously had about this. You don't even know what their powers are. Priya, what the fuck are so, their powers? God, I still don't know. <laughs> I watched the entire crossover app they had with Runaways, and I still don't actually know what their powers are. <laughs> okay, I think it is that, I think the two major highlights are that um, the black one, who, by the way, his power manifests as swirling darkness around him, which I have to say is a racial coding misstep that I have not seen the likes of since, like, the like 60s like i feel like that shit went out like really quickly that's that's pretty awkward it's super awkward super awkward uh so i think he has teleportation i think you you step into the swirling darkness and it teleports you but i think he has to be there and i think maybe he can use it for other things but i like have no actual idea um and then the the girl uh, who's white, she has a light, she has these light dagger things. I'm still unclear if they're, like, crystal that lights up, or if they're made of actual light, and, like, where this came from, and, like, what it means. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna interrupt you right here. So, her backstory is that she's a former ballerina who is now a beautiful thief that seduces men and then steals their shit, and her uh, superpower is that she produces knives. Yeah, what is that superpower producing knives? Like, what is that? So, like, okay, I'm just going to say here what I've been saying, like, for the past month nonstop, which is that Heroes, <laughs> if you remember the show Heroes, which was, like, a huge hit in its first season in, like, 2007 or something, and then the 2008 writer's strike came, and it's not clear if it was because of the writer's strike or not, but it, like, season two was just so horrible, it just lost all of its viewers, and it's like everybody stopped watching it. But anyway, season one was really good. And I just want to point out that season that episode one of season one of Heroes starts with Hero freezing time. Like it starts with a clock and you see him squinting at it and it freezes time and he's like, holy shit, I froze time. Okay, you know what his power is. It's freezing time. <laughs> like you understand. And it works by him like squinting and like trying. Like, okay. Yes, that's a vague description, but it, it's a vague description that makes sense. Like, it's it's a vague description that you've heard before. Like, you have a, a, an emotional space for it in your brain already. Like, it can just slide right in there. And I would uh, add that what the first episode of Heroes ends with is a guy uh, taking too many drugs and painting a nuclear bomb exploding over New York. So 
that yeah. right there <laughs> gives you a conflict because he's trying to not do those drugs as much and it gives you a power and it gives you something to care about for the rest of the season because presumably you well, don't you want to bomb to ex- up a little bit and it gives you something to care about for the rest of the season because presumably you uh don't want a bomb oh shit maybe it's me you know what let's uh break here now This is Pri and Ilim, and we are getting our sugar. Starting with eating ice cream straight out of the carton. So do we have anything else to say about Cloak and Dagger? Uh, Cloak and Dagger, yeah. Um, I had one more thing to say about Cloak and Dagger, which is I wanted to talk about cops. I want to talk about cops in television shows and um, and how that sort of plays into, into race. Um, and... One of the things that Cloak and Dagger does is it goes off and it says, oh, you know, like, obviously, if you have a superhero show, the cops are they're either incompetent or they're bad. If they're competent and they're doing their job and their job is not something bad, then, like, you kind of have to wonder why, like, a masked vigilante running around makes sense. So, okay. Cloak and Dagger, the cops, they're not really good. They're bad. In fact, one of the protagonists is black and the cops shot his brother. So far, so good. This almost seems like it relates to current affairs. Um, but then but then it doesn't, because what it does then is it says, okay, but just kidding. That guy wasn't a real cop. He was that one bad cop who wasn't even a cop. He was this guy pretending to be a cop. Don't worry. This is fine. And it kind of backpedals this, this statement that would have been a really good statement to make. And we see this a lot in sort of superhero shows because... You know, they're trying to sort of be mass market and they try not to piss anyone off and they don't want to, like, make an actual political statement. But when you don't make a political statement on a subject like that, you just end up making almost like a negative statement. Um, it still ends up a political statement. You make statement. a statement that you're, you're stating that you're too afraid to make a statement, basically. Right. And I mean, if, if the statement you're making is, don't worry, the bad cops are just occasional rotten bad apples that aren't even cops, that is also a statement, right? It's just not a statement yeah. that, you know, I think a lot of your intended audience would agree with. Um, mm-hmm. It's a bad statement. Um, um, you know, it's interesting Along with this, I had a I have a semi-related rant about like, um, about how for some reason in media that you know prides itself on being extreme, like all of these like you know like pre like prestige shows on cable or whatever, they never want to show the full extent of violence that we see every single day on Twitter. Right? Like, it's not like we're not seeing this, you know? It's not like we don't have, like, unabashed, like, very clear video proof of, like, you know, cops just straight up executing people in cold blood without even feeling guilty about it afterwards, you know, and then lying about it, you know, to juries and whatnot. We know for a fact that all that happens, but no one actually, and that cops just, like, don't give a shit. They're just like, oh, yeah, I got away with it. But nobody wants to, like, say that. 
<laughs> and I don't know why, because it's so obviously true. And that I think shows the extent to which like we still fear and like feel the police to be an authority in ways that are harmful to our democracy, blah, 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 blah. And even, yeah, exactly. And even when we try to subvert it, it doesn't work out. Um, and, can you even see things on Twitter now? Aren't you in Twitter jail? I'm in Twitter jail. It's not clear to me that if it's because I tweeted something bad or if it's because I liked too many things in one day because I was that bored. But well, my my liking, retweeting, and tweeting privileges are restricted. But I can mm. see things as much as I want to. See, that's the genius of it, right? Like that's the problem is that you can see everything, but you can't express your opinion about the thing, which is what you really wanted to do in the first place. You, you have no mouth, but you must scream, and that's why you have a podcast? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what were we talking about? I have, I have one more note on Cloak and Dagger. I have one more note, and then I swear we're done bitching about it. Um, okay. So, here is... Uh, here's the thing that, that my therapist likes to say a lot. He likes to talk about stages of grief, and it's really boring, and I don't like him anymore. But um, <laughs> one of the things that often happens in superhero shows, and Cloak and Dagger is sort of the primary motivator of this, is something bad happens to the protagonist, and they want to find revenge, mostly revenge. So Batman's parents get shot by some petty criminals. He dresses up as a bat. Um the protagonist's father falls into a lake after a nuclear reactor explodes. She becomes a thief with light knives. Uh, the protagonist's brother gets shot by a cop, but not, not, not really a cop, but kind of a cop. And now he teleports. And, um, and one of the things that makes a show compelling or a story compelling is how much you as the audience sort of share that emotion. We like to joke a lot about how, you know, if Batman really wanted to, like, stop crime in Gotham, then he should probably, like, use his money to fund social programs instead of dressing up as a bat. Because dressing up as a bat is not a way to solve problems. It's just an expression of the, you know, the anger stage of his grief over his parents dying. (laughs) It's very clearly all about him. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, like, it's just therapy for Bruce Wayne, like... He gets to express his Latin anger at petty criminals by dressing up as a bat. And it's kind of funny because it's Batman. Um, And Mm -hmm. the degree to which a show sort of reflects it is, well, do we as the viewers sort of share the same sort of outrage? Do we say, yes, this reminds me of a thing that has happened to me or someone I know. And like, I too think that there is no better way to deal with it because I've run out of options. Um, many people really like Jessica Jones because when it comes to, you know, abusive relationships and sexual assault, a lot of people sort of do often feel like, look, I know somebody that happened to and I can't do anything about it. Nobody can do anything about it. Maybe having superpowers is the best method of dealing with your, like, crazy abusive ex. But when it comes to, um, you know, Cloak and Dagger, where the plot is this guy that we don't care about fell into a lake because something exploded somewhere. It's just it's just hard for us to care. This isn't really about us. There is no wide-standing social problem where, um, you know, reasonably well-off scientists fall into lakes, as far as yeah, I know. Yeah, you, you have to have that feeling of, like, holy shit, the stakes are so huge. And it doesn't work if you haven't established that the stakes are so huge. Like, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole world like exploding like it could just be like you know spider-man's aunt and uncle like dying or maybe just his like parents dying or you know bruce wayne's parents dying whatever but you know emotionally they're there but the the show does not get to that level with the people that get killed off in like the first five minutes and the injustice that they're rebelling, the injustice they're fighting is such a, it's like, it's a minute injustice. It's really clearly important to them. Like, it is important to her that her dad fell into a lake. I mean, yeah, I would, I would be pissed if my parents fell into a lake. I could, I could stop saying that. <laughs> but, um, but as the viewer, there is no grand societal issue here. And there is no issue that is sort of pervasive enough that I feel angry enough about it. Um, when Batman first showed up, the idea that there was all this urban crime and it was something that we were all latently angry about was shared. It was a widespread anger that people had. And that's why mm-hmm. that backstory kind of made sense. And now it's kind of mockable because that's not really a problem right now. Um, and then we took lead out of gasoline and then crime fell. I, and to think we could have just dressed up as bats. <laughs> But actually taking the lead out of the gasoline is what worked. Dressing up as bats had zero effect on crime. (laughs) Uh, There's a reason there aren't, like, more real-life copycats of superheroes. (laughs) Oh, and I guess what that comes down to me is the question to ask yourself about the superhero's origin story is... um, Is this this rage shared by the viewer? Is this going to be, like a therapeutic dealing of the anger stage of grief and despair of our shared consensus reality for the, for the, for the viewer or the reader or whatever, or is it just that character? Cause it was just like that character's personal, like therapeutic journey about how they're angry. Like nobody's going to care about that. And we're all going to be able to tell that we don't care about that. And it's going to ring really hollow. And what's worse is you'll have some, some other character, you know, if, you, if you're doing it badly, some secondary characters will then show up and say, you're just doing this because they're, you're angry. And the character would say, oh, my God, what if you're right? And the viewer will say, why am I watching this? Because if this guy stops being a superhero, where is the show? So, um, yeah, so I want, I want to critique its origin story because it's just terrible and it doesn't work and doesn't hold together. segue in terms of like part of the thing about superheroes like I think part of the reason why they go really well with social justice stories which is another thing that we've been seeing a lot of which is part of why they like they keep being around is because they adapt really well to that framework and that's why like the one exception to like superhero shows seeming like too much is the ones that are clearly social justice stories yeah I agree I think that carries off really well that in mind let's talk about shows on uh, CW, the network for teenagers who are kind of horny, but still keeping it PG-13. <laughs> That's a very accurate summary of the CW. <laughs> the interesting thing about the CW, and I don't know like where exactly this comes from, is that they have a real commitment to... I mean, in some ways, the diversity, like Supernatural, admittedly, is not like the most diverse show, show in the world. It's like super white. Um... But uh, in general, at least with the superhero shows, I feel like they uh, 
have been trying more with diversity, which may just be that they were, you know, more prominent when the diversity wave like was hitting the industry as it does every so often. No, I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's it. I think they're actually much better at diversity. And I think part of it is that because they know that their audience is um tends to skew younger and sort of, you know, as a result somewhat more progressive, they they know that, you know, their audience is gonna is gonna eat it up. Um if you mm-hmm. if if one of your main methods of marketing is Tumblr, you're gonna put a lot of queer characters into your story, and that's great because that's what I want to see. So I'm happy to be catered to. Not gonna it is lie. true that like it is true that the CW does seem to be the network that has most decided to embrace Tumblr as its main marketing strategy. Like you just clearly get the sense that CW is like, I, why would I give a shit? Like it's working for me, <laughs> which is true. It is working, and it should work for for the CW. But at the same time, it's kind of refreshing. One of the things that comes up with a lot of superhero genre is that it seems really stuck in the 80s. Um, It's all of these characters from comic books that came out decades ago. It's all of these stories that were written before the characters would have been born. It's continually using these really outdated references like Daredevil lives in Hell's Kitchen, a gritty neighborhood in New York of gritty poor italian immigrants and like guys have you been to hell's kitchen recently (laughs) it is it is not gritty i think the grittiest immigrant there is gordon ramsay yeah that's that is pretty gritty but like not (laughs) i would watch that show but that's not the show the devil is but i would watch that show Yeah, can we have Gordon Ramsay as a super villain? That would be awesome. <laughs> or a superhero. He's just super either way. I was I would I was just imagining a world where like our superhero is like defending the the, the hilarious world of like fancy kitchens from arch villains. Terry Pratchett had a had a brief scene in The Last Continent like this, but only a very brief scene. But as a result of that, they almost feel like one of the reasons why I sort of stopped watching is that they feel so so out of date that it's it's just weird. Um, and at least one thing you can say for CW multiverse shows like Black Lightning, um, Catwoman, all of that stuff is that by making their characters queer, they're at least somewhat updating a lot of those references. Not all of them. Um, Black Lighting, which is a show that we watched, which is um, about a high school principal in an African-American neighborhood who used to be a superhero, and he has retired to become a principal of this very nice prep school, but now he's drawn back into a terrible life of being a superhero um, because of gangs. Uh, It still feels... It's really weird because it still feels sort of off the mark, like the main villain is gangs... And, like, the cops are somewhat ineffectual against the gangs, but everybody gets arrested at a protest against gangs. People don't go to protests against gangs. That's, that's not how this works. So that, that, like that, that part just doesn't make any sense. But at least it's, it's, it's trying, and you sort of get this occasional feel of, oh, it's getting there. Um, one of the subplots that comes up pretty quickly is that his eldest daughter, um, who's a lesbian, also has superpowers and is much more sort of socially aware and has her shit much more together than he does in that sense. He's much less delusional about, um, you know, respectability politics and what that means. And that's a really compelling topic to tackle, but it's a topic that you can only tackle when you're sort of embracing 
both um, the idea that your characters might be minorities and are willing to sort of lean into knowing what your demographic is and that your demographic is there because they are somewhat progressive, somewhat horny teenagers and not like really bored TV critics that hope your show has a deeper meaning. I mean, that's why people like to dunk on the CW sometimes, right? It's because, like, they are so shameless about embracing the fact that they're there for horny teenagers. Um, But I think, like, what all the dunking misses is that, you know, under the hood, like, the writers who, the writers and the audience have become very discerning, you know, and the production. And obviously Greg Berlanti has become famous, but I think part of, like, for doing the superhero shows, because he's also producing Supergirl and the Move Networks, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I think the thing that people kind of miss about that is that part of it is that he molded his shows to the CW aesthetic, which contain a lot of the things that his shows are famous for, like this kind of primetime soap opera, like, you know, very character-driven, interconnected plots. Like, those are also very much a feature of romance, you know, kind of, you know, things that appeal to, like, your horny teenage girl demographic. So strong, like, bonds between characters, too, but then also a lot of conflict uh, in every single thing. And then also, bizarrely, a lot of action. Like, it moves the plot forward really quickly. And so that actually has a really interesting... I mean, it just makes for entertaining television as long as you don't, like, go too far one way or the other. And, like, they're pretty good at not going too far one way or the other. One of the main characters on Supergirl is a trans woman, right? I actually have no idea. Okay. I have only watched, like, half an episode of Supergirl. Yeah, one of the one I understand one of the main characters on Supergirl is is a trans woman, and that's really cool. But I actually haven't seen a lot of CW shows because they're they're really crunchy and they're really fun to watch. But I, I'm I'm always afraid that like I don't want to get sucked into it. I don't have the level <laughs> of commitment that it's gonna take. Uh-huh. Like I'm gonna start watching it, and it's just gonna be like a soap opera. Like you're just gonna keep going, and every step is gonna be it's gonna be shiny and it's gonna be hilarious. And then, like, you're going to look at the clock and it's going to be, like, Saturday and your boss has fired you while you weren't looking. And I just I just don't want that to happen to me. I mean, if you're worried about immediate bingeability, I would say that's definitely a problem. They are very immediately bingeable. They tend to have very good first seasons also. Or if not good first seasons, then good second seasons, but usually, like, one of the two. Um, if you're worried that, like, you'll feel committed to finishing the whole season, I would say that they tend to jump the shark pretty thoroughly when they do it. Like, you know for sure. So, like, it's always been very easy for me to be like, all right, I'm done. But also, I'm very good at just being like, all right, I'm done. I think I'm, I'm very good at doing that, like, two episodes in. But, like, if I come back to it, it's a problem. Mm, I see, I see. Yeah, in that case, I would say stay away from them. Yeah. But if one of our viewers, our readers, listeners, if one of our listeners wanted to, uh, if one of our listeners wanted to watch a CW show, where should they start? Oh, Oh, this is such a juicy question. Well, I guess the show that got me started was this kind of very under, underrated, kind of almost understated show uh, called Nikita, which starred Maggie Q as uh, like an updated La Femme Nikita. Oh my god, I loved the Basson original. It was the first adult movie that I saw because my parents forgot the tape in the VCR when I was at my grandmother's house. I have such fun memories. It, it was very good as a CW show. Um, I think it really blended well. It really blended like the C, like certain elements of the CW, like you know the soapiness, the high stakes, blah blah blah, but with like a more adult tone. Like it was a little bit edgier. 
you know, it was a little bit less like, oh my God, you're my ex-boyfriend. And a little bit more like, all right, you know, we're all adults. We all have a mission. We're all like working together here. While still keeping this the, the trademark CW thirst. Yes, very much. There's a lot of trademark CW thirst. You will not, uh, I was going to say like you, I don't know if I should say that you will be more thirsty or that your thirst will be quenched by this. But anyway, it's <laughs> it's very thirsty. Maybe it is thirsty. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, it's relatively short. It was only like, I think it was two like long seasons and one truncated season or something like that. Uh, maybe three long seasons, but I think definitely not more than three. So as these things go. Uh, like it's not loading you up with like eight or nine seasons or Supernatural I think is just not quitting at 17 seasons right out of the gate but what if you what if you wanted to go with specifically a superhero show any recommendations oh I know where people how people can get started with the the current um, iteration of CW superhero show go to YouTube and search for Arrow Salmon Ladder Supercut fuck yeah and <laughs> and there'll be some videos that pop up that are like seven minutes long that feature a guy in like a greenish darkish basement hanging from some kind of like device uh that is arrow or that is um what's his name the character's name is oliver queen and this actor's name is Stephen amell and uh, uh, he's on this device called the Salmon Ladder, which if you watch American Ninja Warrior or Arrow or like any like kind of extreme e-fitness thing, you'll know is uh, this device that has these hooks that go up in rows and you like move this bar up from them. Like you jump it up with your abdomen basically while hanging in midair. Uh, so it's like this very big like macho core workout kind of a thing and it really flexes all of your muscles and Stephen Amell really flexes a lot of muscles while walk, while doing it and it is the principal reason to watch any of the Arrow season one but luckily you can watch the supercut on YouTube and save yourself the entire season binging time <laughs> I, I don't know what it says about superhero YA shows but I think it says a lot about CW <laughs> true story Elam and I once scoured the mission and like San Francisco comic shops for a like poster size version of the uh, picture like the Arrow TV poster that features him shirtless but like with arrows strapped to his back it was so hot we could it not find so it so hot <laughs> would have been such a good poster for our apartment <laughs> alas we were unsuccessful in our quest <laughs> uh, man. the point is you watch the supercut then you watch arrow season two uh which wasn't too bad and then you kind of decide like what you want to do from there uh, after that if you're still interested you can try the flash which people have really liked i think there's also like Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, obviously Supergirl. People love Supergirl. Ooh, iZombie. I love iZombie. It's it's a little white feministy. I mean, it's okay. It's pretty white feministy, but otherwise, it's great. Awesome. I think that 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 sounds like a great start. So let uh, let's finish this up. What have we learned today about uh, YA and superheroes? 
Uh, today we have learned that there's a reason why YA stories overlap so well with superhero stories. Uh, and we've learned about some shows that just showcase this overlap and some shows that show why this overlap doesn't uh, work anymore or doesn't work in some cases. We've, we've learned that uh, your show should be weird. You should have dinosaurs or um, salmon ladders. And you should not forget about the dinosaurs after episode one, by the way. Or the salmon ladder. Don't forget about the salmon ladder. Um, yeah. It helps. <laughs> it helps if your characters are, um, you know, are disadvantaged in some way that gives them reason to feel a societal injustice instead of just a personal, like, pet peeve that they should process with a therapist instead of, you know, a few million viewers. Um, mm-hmm. We've learned that um, if your power is light knives, that's kind of lame. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've... Not to be ableist about it, but that's just not the greatest power. Uh, Freya's right. That was bad word choice on my part. But that power was stupid. Uh, <laughs> lame people also are fine. ableist. <laughs> it was, okay, it was bad. It was bad. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag woke. <laughs> Um, don't, people, people are great. That power is not as good as any people, and I, I, I apologize. Um, and, uh, also that, uh, your heroes should probably be fighting actual corrupt cops, not villains that masquerade as corrupt cops, or nefarious gangs that have never existed in reality, and certainly not since 1990s. No, 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 no. At this point, you, they shouldn't even be fighting actual cops. They should be fighting the whole idea of cops as they currently exist, as opposed to, for example, community guards with combined with prison abolition, blah, 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 blah. I, that's a very good point. I would, I would mm-hmm. love to see more... A, a superhero show where they start out as superheroes and then just, like, gradually, like, invent guillotines and stage a revolution. Like, that's a show. Have we learned anything else, Elon? Um, I've learned that cocktails in mason jars are fine. Are great. This was this I've was great. That ice cream is really good. We yeah, we've we've learned that sheltering in place gives us way too much time to watch shitty <laughs> television. We might be taking advantage of a special coronavirus discount on our uh, remote podcasting uh, service. That would be exciting. What what are we going to talk about in future episodes, Priya? Right. What's coming up next? Um. So we're going to talk about some general YA uh, stuff, maybe like post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a show we really want to talk about, and it's post-apocalyptic YA, but it's hilarious. And we can, um, and we were considering talking about some shows we watched when we were like way younger, that are um, that are like cartoons that we were really into as as kids. Because this reminded me that I was really into uh, Batman Beyond and Reboot Once Upon a Time. Oh, Reboot. Yeah, I really want to talk about Reboot. So, lots of stuff planned. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great time. We got we to gotta make use of this discount. <laughs> we got to do it for the discount, everyone. <laughs> and every time we do, I will keep ordering cocktails to go from my local bars. Remember, if you want Support them to be here... local bars. Support my local bars if you want them to be there, because otherwise, how will I get drunk? Also, support my local dispensary. Otherwise, how will I get high? Your dispensary is an essential business, Priya. They're the only ones still open. Wait, bars? <laughs> <laughs> but alcohol stores are also deemed essential businesses. 
but 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 I like bars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully more bars are able to reinvent themselves in a delivery-based world. And hopefully this virus goes away soon. Mm-hmm.